Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. What's going on in your wallet these days? For most of us, it's a siphoning effect. Dollars flying out at an increased and alarming rate to pay for gas or food or any of the things that we buy. It's called inflation. But what does that even mean? What causes it? And how do we get things more under control? We'll talk with MSU economist Charlie Ballard about it, and we want to hear from you about what is going on with your finances. That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. There is so much going on in the world right now. It is hard each day to figure out what we should be talking about here on Detroit Today. Of course, uh, the Supreme Court is busy issuing its last opinions of the current term. Uh, We've gotten uh, some major decisions so far on guns and on abortion rights. We're still waiting for a really big decision on the scope and reach of the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, We will be talking uh, many times on the show over the next week or so about all of the things that the court uh, is doing. In addition, later today, the January 6th committee in uh, Congress is going to meet and talk uh, about uh, what what everyone seems to believe is going to be a surprise, uh, a witness that we didn't expect to hear from, uh, who is maybe going to drop some really interesting information about the run-up to the attempted coup on January 6th of uh, last year. Uh, We're also paying close attention to that here at Detroit Today, and we'll be discussing the the scope and the reach of uh, the committee's findings uh, as we get them. Before we get started today, though, I did want to just preview something that we're going to do later this week on Thursday. We're going to come back to the question of abortion rights, which were obliterated by the Supreme Court last week, last Friday. Uh, We're going to talk about what this means in the context of our democracy. And I've been spending an awful lot of time in the run-up to Friday, but also since Friday, really thinking about what this tells us about our democracy. Uh, The judiciary, of course, is not a democratic branch. It derives its legitimacy only, though, through its connection to the democratic branches, to Congress, which has to approve presidential appointments, and of course, presidents pick the people that they want to put on the Supreme Court. But if you look at the process that put at least five of the current justices on the court, I mean, I think you see how broken all of it is. You had two presidents who did not win the presidency by a majority vote. In other words, most of the people in the country wanted someone else uh, appoint those justices. You had a Senate that uh, has a majority that doesn't represent the majority of people in the country, even though it represents a majority of the states, uh, confirm those justices. And you had uh, some real procedural shenanigans taking place about how and when we confirm people to the Supreme Court. Remember, 
how long they would not uh, even have a hearing or a vote for Merrick Garland, who's now attorney general, uh, a longtime federal judge, maybe one of the most qualified nominees ever for the court uh, because he was nominated by Barack Obama. And they said, look, an election's coming up. Let's wait until after the election to decide. Uh, Then, of course, uh, they confirmed Amy Coney Barrett in a matter of days Uh, while a presidential election was already taking place. Millions of people had already voted uh, in the election of 2020 before Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed. Uh, When the democracy side of the judiciary, when that democratic influence is that broken, I think we really have to think about things like legitimacy, things like what democracy actually means. And so on Thursday, we really are going to dig into that uh, with Richard Primus, who's a constitutional law expert at the University of Michigan. We also are looking to line up uh, some other guests if we can, uh, but we want to continue to really think about that. It, it really matters not just for abortion rights, uh, but for many of the other things that the court is uh, doing. So uh, that will be on Thursday. And again, we're, we're paying pretty close attention to what the court is up to this week as it closes out its term, as well as what's going on with uh, the January 6th hearing. Today, though, we want to start here. We have all seen and are dealing with prices for everyday items that we need absolutely going through the roof. It is a problem that is really hitting families hard. And in a macro sense, it is blunting the really strong performance of the economy. President Joe Biden would be riding quite a wave of support, I think, if not for inflation, if you look at the other things that have happened in the economy since he became president. But all anybody can think about is the price of gas or the price of milk or the price of just about anything that you try to buy. We are facing the highest inflation we've seen in 40 years, and it leads a lot of people to really wonder what exactly is going on. We know that the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the war in Ukraine, have both caused significant supply chain disruptions. And that means it's a lot harder to get goods to where they need to be to meet consumer demand. That almost always raises prices. Uh, There's also evidence that the COVID stimulus relief, which was provided to support the economy and people when so many people couldn't go to work, that also has helped drive inflation, at least to some extent. We also know that food and gas prices are increasing at a higher rate than inflation, with oil companies reporting record profits despite supply chain issues, so much so that it's led some commentators to allege that they are price gouging. Our, one of our senators, uh, Debbie Stabenow, has really taken the lead in Congress in talking about that price gouging and trying to urge her colleagues to do something about it. Meanwhile, this month, in an effort to try to slow inflation, the Federal Reserve Bank raised interest rates by its largest amount in 30 years. Now, the goal is to reduce inflation by slowing consumer and business spending. The question is, will that even be enough? Will it be enough to cool things down so that we are not spending so much at the pump, at the grocery Uh, at all these places. Also, will it cool things down enough to 
uh, satisfy people in advance of the midterm elections, which are just a few months away. I think that's something that is certainly on the president's mind all the time. So what is the cause of these rising prices that we're seeing? And what can lawmakers and federal agencies do to fight the problem. To help us unpack these questions and more, I'm joined by Charlie Ballard. He's a professor of economics at Michigan State University. Charlie, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me on the program. Yeah. So start here. Uh, overall, what is going on? What? Why are things so expensive? And as I said, uh, why is this happening at a time when the economy otherwise is posting really great numbers, the stock market, unemployment numbers, these are all moving in positive directions. So why are we all paying so much for the things that we need? Well, uh, Stephen, in your introduction, you, you hinted at uh, some of the most important uh, causes. Uh, put as simply as I can, what's going to push prices up? Either strong demand, that is, people have a lot of money in their pocket and they're willing to spend, or uh, weak supply. That is, the, there's something wrong on the production side where the, the companies that want to sell stuff are, are having trouble producing as much as people want to buy. And that, the, those two things are the formula for, um, for upward pressure on prices. And um, we've act- on the demand side, on ha- money in people's pockets, um, uh, one way that that is affected by government policy is um, uh, either tax cuts or spending increases. Um, and we have been running uh, what I think is irresponsibly large budget deficits at the federal level for decades now. I think the uh, and and then and somehow though supply managed to keep up. We, we've been we've been. We've been pushing the pedal to the metal for years and years and years, but somehow supply managed to keep up. But then, in the last couple of years, um, back in 2017, we passed a huge tax cut aimed mostly at high-income individuals, especially those with big portfolios of corporate stock. Um, And that was, if you had voted for that, you would have flunk Econ 101, because uh, it's just wrong-headed policy to stomp on the gas when the economy is already at full employment, which it was four years ago. Uh, and then um, along came the uh, COVID, and that led to all sorts of supply chain disruptions um, uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. And then, fin- and that meant that finally the econ- the producers were having trouble keeping up with all the demand. And then the other thing that I would mention, uh, we'll have time later in the program to talk about other things, but um, the the stimulus checks. You mentioned the stimulus checks. Um, Certainly they were well-intentioned, and I think they did help to keep the deep drop of the economy two years ago from being worse. But they weren't very well targeted. Remember that some of the stimulus checks went to households with incomes of $200,000 a year. And i got to say, I don't see how those folks were hurting and in need of a government sub- subsidy. So we ran a $3 trillion deficit. We were pumping money out like crazy. And businesses were not able to keep up with that demand. And that is a formula for higher prices. Hmm. So uh, are th- some of these things then just 
dynamics that we should not be complaining about. I mean, one of the things that, that I wonder often is whether we've become spoiled by the idea of easy access to goods and low prices. Uh, I, I think all the time about how frequently Amazon, uh, you know, feeds my my need for something and does it in 24 hours and for not very much money. Is it just that we've forgotten about these kinds of dynamics, or is there something about what's happening now that really is concerning and something that needs addressing? Well, I think uh, the extent to which this inflation episode that we're seeing right now um, depends on uh, the in, the individual circumstances of individual people. Um, if some millionaire complains about having to pay higher grocery prices, I'm not very sympathetic. It's the average person, it's the low-income person, those are the families for whom this is a problem. Uh, even beyond that, I'll give you from my own personal uh, perspective, uh, gasoline is a big part of the consumer price index. Mm-hmm. And because gas prices are so high, that that goes into the formula that leads to that overall inflation number that you hear. Well, I used to buy, uh, I used to fill up my tank about once a week. Lately, because uh, I've been doing so much more of my work remotely, I fill up my tank maybe once a month. Well, so for me, inflation is not as severe. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to complain, or it doesn't hurt me. I can complain if I want, but it doesn't hurt me the way it does some other people. But if you've got a 50-mile commute and you've got to be there every day, well, then it's really bad. So I, I think it's important for your listeners to remember that the inflation rate that you hear when when it's on the headline once a month, that's not one size fits all. There are some people in our economy for whom it's not much of a problem. There are some for whom it is a big problem. Yeah, I'm talking with uh, Charles Ballard. He's a professor of economics at Michigan State University. He joins us pretty frequently to talk about the economy and uh, dynamics in the economy, how they're affecting consumers. Right now, we're talking about inflation and the really inflated prices. I mean, the skyrocketing prices that we're seeing for things like gasoline and food, uh, all kinds of goods that people really do need to buy, don't have much choice about. What's causing that? Uh, who's responsible for it? And what can be done to send things in a different way? Can we control inflation better uh, than we have? Or is it something we just got to kind of wait out for larger dynamics in the global economy to kind of iron themselves out to, to make things uh, more accessible, uh, deal with supply and demand in a different way. Uh, we want to hear from you during this conversation especially. Uh, call and tell us how these higher prices are affecting you. What kind of numbers are you seeing when you go and fill up your car at the gas station, for instance? Uh, what are some of the things that you've wanted to buy lately that made you think again when you saw the price tag. Are you not filling up your gas tank as much, uh, cutting back on driving then uh, as a way of trying to pay less for gas? Or are there are other things that you're just not buying right now because they're too expensive. Um, also give us a sense of what or who you think is responsible for this, and especially 
for fixing it. You hear a lot of anger being directed at President Biden as he faces uh, midterm elections in a few months. A lot of people saying, hey, this is uh, this is his economy. He owns it. So why can't he do something about it? Do you think that's a fair assessment uh, of his work so far and his responsibility? Uh, what would you have him do about uh, inflation? What would you have him do about high prices? What lever would you pull? Uh, we also want to hear from business owners and talk uh, with them about how inflation is affecting them. Of course, what affects them affects us when we buy their goods or their services. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Charlie, before we go to our listeners, uh, I want to ask a pretty blunt question about the stimulus that uh, seemed to rescue us from the absolutely devastating effects of the pandemic. Was it a mistake to do as much of the stimulus as we did? Is that having more of an effect on inflation than it did on rescuing the economy in the first place? I think it was not a mistake to do some of those things. I just think that they weren't, the, especially the stimulus checks, were not targeted uh, nearly as tightly as uh, they should have been, in, in my view. Um, I would have put the income limit for receiving a, a stimulus check much lower uh, than what Congress passed. Um, the problem, of course, is that they had to get the money out fast. Uh, and, you know, our administrative apparatus of the Internal Revenue Service and the local unemployment agencies, they were not designed for the kind of huge influx of unemployment claims, the kind of uh, huge stimulus package that uh, that happened and so it, i think they weren't administered as well as they as well as they could have been um so uh, what grade would i give them i think i'd give them a b minus uh it was good to try to do some things to cushion the blow to the economy i just think we overdid it and that is part of the inflation story but it, it is not by any means the only part we all, i also talked about the tax cut from five years ago which was i think just a huge mistake and then uh... there are other things going on that we have a lot of trouble controlling you mentioned the war in ukraine and russia is one or or was one of the biggest uh... oil exporters in the world and uh... that is one of the reasons why the price of oil is, is high and then that gets passed through to the higher price of gasoline. Well, I wish that um, the crazy guy in Moscow, Vladimir Putin, hadn't started his war, but he did, and that has repercussions for us that are difficult for us to control because Joe Biden, neither Joe Biden nor Fed Chairman Jay Powell nor anybody else can snap their fingers and get oil prices to drop by $50 a barrel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Call and tell us how you are making it through this inflationary period uh, in our economy. How are you uh, filling up your car? How are you keeping food in the fridge and in the cabinet uh, at a time when those things cost more 
than any of us might uh, actually remember. Uh, let's go to Christopher in Detroit for starters. Christopher, welcome to the show. Wait, wait. Hello. Hey. Um, what we need to do is my Strengthening Capitalism Act, where it's trust-backed universal basic income given to uh, households, firms, and uh, uh, institutions, uh, where the principles are held and the interests are doled out um, in small amounts, and new businesses are entrusted as they contribute to this universal basic income that will be a, 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 a crypto doled out as a crypto of Shiba Inu that will eventually turn into a United Nations crypto for the world. Uh, Christopher, uh, you, you know, I, I, I love that you call consistently and bring this, this issue up because uh, it's something that I actually uh, think is, is an important part of the conversation about certainly the future of uh, our economics in this country and how we make sure that people have what they need. Uh, Charlie Ballard, I guess the question is, what role do progressive ideas like this, which uh, would would um, change the way that we make sure that people have enough money, um, what role should they play in all of this? What role do they play uh, in, the, in the conversations that we're having right now? Well, that's a, a big question. Uh, I... Um my, in my view, a lot of the things uh, that uh, our government does to support the incomes of low- and middle-income folks are good. Um, and uh, I, I wouldn't uh, rip out the social safety net, and, and I think that there is an argument for making it st stronger. In fact, that's what I would do, but I would pay for it. Uh, and uh, what we have done in the United States really for the last 50 years or so is we have spent uh, money, but we haven't been willing to raise enough taxes to to cover that, and that has led to these very large deficits, uh, which ultimately um, were one of the many engines that uh, stoked inflation. So I, I'm I think universal basic income or something like it is a, a well worth uh, talking about. Now, in the current political environment. A UBI is not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so let's look at things that might happen. What might happen this year um, would be an expansion of the earned income tax credit in Michigan. The federal government established uh, the EITC, the earned income tax credit, back in 1975. It was signed into law by Michigan's uh, Gerald Ford. And it's been expanded a few times at the federal level. And in 2007, the state topped it up. Uh, but then in 2011, we almost eliminated that such that the state's extra EITC contribution was dramatically reduced. I would reverse that, and there are people in the state legislature who want that to happen. And so that's, uh, that's something that we can do. And the, the EITC, the beauty of it is that the money is targeted at low and middle income working families, especially those with children. And that, I think, is a group that most of us can agree um, uh, is well worthy of support. Yeah. 
When we come back, we are going to continue this conversation with uh, Charlie Ballard about the economy, about inflation, about what can be done to deal with uh, these skyrocketing prices. We'll also continue to hear from you on social media and on the phones. El Barro in Detroit, Jeff in Dearborn. We'll get to you. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019. Call and tell us what the prices are doing to your wallet, to your budget. How are you managing through all of this uh, as we just see prices hit levels that we haven't experienced in decades? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. And as again, you can always get to us on social media, Facebook and Twitter. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about the economy and, in particular, the inflation that is dragging down uh, people's sense of the economy and, of course, dragging down people's budgets, uh, siphoning lots of dollars out of people's wallets, uh, gas prices, food prices, uh, any kind of goods that you try to buy right now is costing you more uh, than it did six months ago or a year ago. The question is why and what can be done about it. Our guest is Charlie Ballard. He's a professor of economics at Michigan State University joins us pretty frequently to talk about economics, but uh, we also want to hear from you about how all of this is playing out in your budget. Uh, how are you managing these gas prices that uh, are unbelievable at this point and seem to only be going up? Uh, how are you managing the inflated prices for other things in your life? Uh, all of us live with uh, a constraint of a budget, and of course, when things cost more, got to adjust and figure out how to continue to do the things that you do with uh, the money uh, that you have or scale back, I suppose, and not do as many things. Call and tell us how that looks for you. Uh, We especially want to hear from you if you own and operate a business. Uh, Business costs are, of course, also up and those costs get passed on. Uh, to the customers uh, of those businesses. Tell us how you're managing all of that. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or you can go uh, to Twitter and hashtag uh, the Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Jeff in Dearborn next. Jeff, what's on your mind? Good morning, gentlemen. Um it's been 30 years since I've been out of high school, and we had a wonderful, wonderful ride. Um, I know everything has to come to an end sooner or later. So <laughs> my question is, um, is two questions, actually. Uh, is uh, globalization over with, and what's next? And do you see the Fed um, coming up with its own crypto? Hmm. 
Uh, those are interesting questions, Jeff. I'm glad you called. Uh, Charlie, uh, what, what's your sense of those things? Uh, globalization is certainly not over, uh, and for good reason. Uh, there's plenty of good things that come out of people being able to travel. Um, I, I got back from uh, a trip to Denmark just last week um, and uh, for goods to be able to cross borders. I do think, however, that many American businesses uh, have already begun a process of uh, trying to streamline their their production, their their supply chains. Uh, what we developed in the last 30 or 40 years was intricate, long supply chains where there's something that you eventually buy at a store in America, but one component was produced in Honduras, and that was set to me- sent to Mexico, and another component was produced in Malaysia, and then sent to Vietnam, and then to China, and then all the parts eventually get put together, and it ends up on your shelf. Well, that was a system that was designed to exploit the fact that these other countries have lower wages, and that did produce a lot of good stuff at a low price. But it was a system that doesn't work very well if anything goes wrong. Um, You know, what's the old adage? Uh, A supply chain or any chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And what we saw as a result of COVID was lots of links in the supply chain got broken or at least damaged. And uh, I think it's a, a very sensible move for a lot of American companies to see if they can shorten some of those supply chains. It's, it's a process that will take years, and I'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like at the other end. But I think there is going to be at least some pullback from globalization in that way. Mm. Now, in terms of uh, cryptocurrency, <laughs> Uh, I hope not, and I think I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we get a lot of inquiries about that here on the show, both uh, on the phones and on, on social media. People are really interested in in how it affects, I guess, things like inflation and uh, economic growth, uh, things that are more standard, I guess, measures of how the economy's doing. I, I haven't ever really talked to you much, Charlie, about, crypto. I think we've learned a lot more about it in the last month or month and a half than we had uh, in, in a long period before that and, and how volatile it can be. Um, right. But but is it something that, that you know, will stabilize at some point and really become another way uh, of, of capitalizing things? Well, uh, I suppose that's a possibility. Uh, but frankly, I'm not encouraged by what I see. Uh, you know, um, as you mentioned, the, these crypto markets have been extremely volatile, and some people have made a ton of money if they were lucky enough, and some people have lost their shirt um, speculating in cryptocurrencies. My, my, my view of it is if you want to take a big risk and gamble, just go down to the Motor City Casino, and, and they'll, they'll provide you with food and drink while you lose your money. That's a whole lot better than losing your money on crypto when you don't get free drinks. <laughs> wow. Comparing it to going to MGM, that's pretty, that's pretty harsh. <laughs> uh, again, thanks for the call. Uh, let's go next to uh, Albaro in Detroit. Albaro, welcome to Detroit Today. 
Thanks for having me. Um, mm-hmm. I just uh, wanted to talk about uh, some of the ways I've been fl- facing inflation through my business. Um, I think personally, I've been able to keep it under control and change my spending habits. But but as far as I, I own a restaurant in Ferndale, and as far as the cost, uh, rising costs of different supplies we use, you know, I could give you an example. Like I know maybe a year or so ago, that buying a box of lime, which I use for my restaurant a lot, you know, uh, might have cost something around like uh, forty, fifty dollars, you know. And this is, you know, for for a large box. Now it's, you know, I've seen prices over a hundred and thirty, over a hundred and forty, mm. and you know, it's it's been a real, uh, you know, it's been a real challenge because we have these sort of growing costs that are un- that are unavoidable um whereas uh and you know and and it puts us in a kind of bind because we don't want to directly translate those costs off to the customer as well but you know but you have to find it somewhere and uh and i just wanted to you know um to find out more about you know as far as uh you know for for supplier markets, you know, what what is it that that is really affecting this stuff, or you know, is it COVID, or is, or um, or you know, like what what is really the slowdown, or or has been the large chain in supply chain? Yeah, uh, Albaro, uh, we wish you luck, of course, with your with your business and and the increased cost. That's a really good, uh, I think, close up look at how. All of this is affecting people, and and you know I think one of the most important things you said is that you have to figure out how to accommodate those costs, and you try not to pass them on to your customers, but uh, but then that's that leaves you figuring out where else to get uh, to get the money, um, uh, Charlie. But what about his uh, his question here about the supply chain itself? Well, uh, I, I certainly sympathize with his situation, and um, I, I, I want to point out, he, he mentioned one particular item, I think he said it was limes, which I guess you, goes in your margarita or, or something like that, um, the, the, and, and he was talking about prices doubling or tripling. Well, at least there's a, here's a small glimmer of good news. Uh, the overall rate of inflation is something like seven or eight percent in recent months. Um, so, if everything was rising as fast as limes, the in- rate of inflation would be two hundred percent. So uh, clearly, there are some items for which prices have gone way up, some items for which prices have gone up by average, and some items actually, if you, if you look carefully in the store. You'll see a lot of things that have not changed or have they, they have gone up very little because the overall consumer price index is a weighted average of tens of thousands of, of items. Um, it, of course, if you are in a situation where one of your key items has skyrocketed, that is a really tough situation. And I, uh, you know, I'm not sure how Albaro is going to. Um, uh, deal with that, hmm. may be forced to raise some of the prices. Uh, and uh, I, honestly, I think a lot of consumers who go to restaurants are aware that the underlying uh, input prices are going up, and they then, uh, you know, I've gone to restaurants recently where the prices were a little bit higher than I had seen last year, and I've gone ahead and paid it. 
So I don't think you're going to lose all your customers, but certainly it is a, a difficult choice when you when you find yourself forced to raise prices because some customers may uh, may shy away. Uh, a very difficult situation for somebody who's in a business like his. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Albaro, really appreciate the call and uh, the insight there. Okay, when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about the economy. We'll continue with Charlie Ballard and continue with you on the phones. We'll also get to some social media comments. Ken and Troy, Robert in Detroit, Martha in Ortonville, you're next. You want to join them? 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest is Charlie Ballard. He's a professor of economics at Michigan State University. We're talking about the economy, we're talking about inflation, uh, these crazy prices that we are all facing at the pump and in the grocery and restaurants and any place that we try to buy goods or services for that matter. Uh, what's causing it? Uh, what do we do about it? Who's responsible for it, and what levers should they be pulling? Uh, as always, we want to hear from you during the conversation. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work into the conversation. I want to read a couple of social media comments before we get back to the phones. Ed on Twitter says, energy cost is the number one cause of inflation. And no, in our free market, the president has little or no control over these costs. You stop inflation by making a recession and you don't know you are in one till you are coming out of it. Uh, uh, Big Neo on Twitter says, paid $70 for a 15-gallon tank of premium gas for a VW GTI. I live within 12 miles of work and only need to fill up about once a week. Since 2008, everything is the fault of the president when it's a Democrat, but rampant excuses when a Republican uh, is in office. Uh, Brian on Twitter has a specific question. Uh, do you agree that the Fed needs to beat GDP back to the supply we have, not the supply we want? It's a pretty technical economic uh, question, Charlie. Maybe you can uh, help our listeners understand it a little better and then, uh, and then answer it. Well, the, so uh, I mentioned earlier uh, that we've had these very expansionary fiscal policies. Those are the things that are controlled by Congress and the president. Uh, tax cuts, higher spending. That is one set of tools um, that, that can be used to try to control the economy. And I've said, suggested that those haven't been used as well as I would like. The other tool that we have is the thing that's controlled by the Federal Reserve, and that's uh, stuff that has to do with credit markets, the interest rates. And um, the, the Federal Reserve, unfortunately, is, is in a kind of a lonely position because they haven't had responsible partners uh, on Capitol Hill or at the White House. Um, uh, I, I mean, I, I can blame both the Trump administration and the Biden administration and Congress for uh, stomping on the accelerator pedal too hard, in my in my view, and that means that 
unless we reverse those tax cuts, which I don't think is going to happen, unless we reel back the um, stimulus checks, which is not going to happen, that means that the only game in town is the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve has a dual mandate. Their job is to do their best to make sure that we're at full employment, but that we have stable prices. And what they're trying to do now is they've been raising interest rates, they've been restricting access to credit, uh, and you, you see it in uh, higher mortgage rates, uh, various, uh, anything involving borrowing, the, the price of borrowing is going up. The very, very difficult thing would be for them to tap on the brakes just hard enough to squeeze out the inflation without tipping us into a recession. That's not easy to do. Will we be able to avoid a recession? I, I, I can't say for sure. We don't know. But it's not uh, – historically, a lot of times, and the most spectacular was in the late 70s and early 80s, when we had higher inflation than we have now, or inflation as high as we have now, and the Fed did step on the brakes hard enough to squeeze out the inflation, but they also caused a very deep recession. Uh, and so it's a, it's a very delicate balancing act that the Fed has to face. And it's unfortunate that they don't have any cooperation in trying to manage the economy, or they don't have cooperation as good as I would like to see from the fiscal authorities, Congress and the president. Mm. Uh, again, Brian, uh, that was a really great question on uh, Twitter. And if you have other questions, specific questions about this, uh, feel free to put them on Twitter or on Facebook. Uh, all right, uh, let's go back to the phones here. Let's go to Ken in Troy. Ken, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Hello, Charlie. And, and I, too, am a business owner in Ferndale. Mm-hmm. Um, it, We've been listening to Kai Rizdal now for, for weeks tell us that the main, if not the sole, cause of inflationary pressure is the, uh, an imbalance between supply and demand. And, and uh, that's been the cause uh, of, uh, that's had a huge impact on, on my business. Um, and, and that is, it almost seems as though the other factors that are being discussed right now are, are you know, at best, they're perhaps reactionary or at worst they're red herrings the 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 fed and the and the the government really don't have any control over supply and demand and those things for the most part have to the best of my knowledge have been affected by uh the 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 pandemic and the supply chain issues and and by the war in ukraine Mm. those are the two things that the fed and the government have no control of whatsoever Mm. and i'm I'm curious to hear your comment on that and and the other the question is i mean it seems like every time we do have some sort of reactionary response to things it's a lot like swerving to avoid a deer uh you, you got to get it exactly right or else the thing starts spinning yeah yeah uh, those are great questions ken and, and i should uh, point out to listeners that your reference there to kai Rizdal is to uh, the host of Marketplace, which you hear here on uh, on WDET, and he, you're right, he has been talking about uh, supply chain. Uh, Charlie, is it that the supply chain is only really disrupted by these events, uh, and that when they when they subside, we'll see things go back to normal, or is there something bigger? I guess going on is is, is Ken's question. Well, when you think about 
the items that you buy on an everyday basis, if you if you think hard about everything that went into it, like uh, so let's say you're going to to, to a some place to get a sandwich today for lunch, well. Somebody had to grow wheat, and it had to be milled into flour, and it had to be put into bread. Somebody had to grow a, a, a chicken or, or a hog, and, that, and then the meat gets processed, and, and eventually it ends up in the sandwich. And a long, process, a long supply chain to get the mayonnaise and the ketchup. I mean, it is really a miracle that we have as much stuff, and we have a much higher li- standard of living than we had um, 50 years ago or even 20 years ago. Uh, most Americans, but it's it, boy, an awful lot goes into that supply chain, and it's it's easy to disrupt, and we're seeing a lot of that. Th- I'll, I'll point to three main disruptions of the supply chain. One is all the stuff related to COVID, because if there's a lockdown in Shanghai, China, that's going to uh, disrupt certain supply chains. Um, then there's the um, price of oil, because the, the supply of oil has been messed up largely because of the Russian war in Ukraine. And that has had knock-on effects. And then there's something that actually predates COVID and, and the war in Ukraine. That's the trouble that the auto companies have had in getting the semiconductor chips that they need in the quantity that they need to get their cars and trucks uh, to the showroom. And so... All of those, at least potentially, I mean, I think it's, uh, there's a very real possibility that we'll, we'll get past that. Um, uh, you know, the, the war in Ukraine won't last forever, at least I hope it won't. Um, the, the auto companies by next year or so will have enough chips. Um, and um, I, I hope we get to the point where COVID is no longer disrupting the, the world economy. So these things can be fixed, but you just can't fix them with a snap of a finger. And that's why if, if, if people are looking for relief, I think it's – I don't want to give anybody false hope that somehow there's some policy out there that's going to eliminate inflation in the next couple of months. I think we're talking a process that's likely to last for a few years. Mm. Uh, again, uh, great question, and uh, I think uh, all of us are, are are hoping that these are temporary disruptions, and that uh, things will kind of like a rubber band uh, go back to their normal shape uh, when this is all over. Uh, Ken, again, thanks very much for the the call and the questions. Let's go to Robert in Detroit. Robert, what's on your mind? Uh, good morning, Steve mm-hmm. and Charlie. Uh, I guess I'll just join the chorus of business owners. <laughs> I own a cafe in downtown Detroit, uh-huh. and I just kind of wanted to push back against the idea that our costs have only risen 7 or 8% uh, from the time I've started my business to now. My costs are roughly 30 35%. Oh, my goodness. Partially driven by the tightening labor market, I have to increase wages. It's driven by you know rising cost of inputs like celery or limes, for example. And, uh, you know, I'm very blessed and grateful to still be standing. So many restaurants have not made it thus far. But, you know, it, it's definitely much more than a 7 or 8% cost increase for us year over year, let alone, you know, over two or three years. So, 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 <laughs> so Robert, I just to bring that up. So, Robert, 30%. Yep. How, do you, how do you accommodate and, that in, your, so, in your business? <laughs> that's not being passed on to the customer, right? Like, uh, I can't across the board raise my prices 30% because I have to look at my customer's price sensitivity. Uh, and, you know, 
because I'm in the downtown market, I'm battling work from home policies, which are overall bringing fewer people walking past my front door anyway. So I really want to get as many people in the door as I can. Sure. But, uh, you know, I definitely have raised prices, not 30%, but, you know, like Alvar mentioned, you know, he and I are in the same business. You know, we're looking for, the only way to manage it is to look for other places to cut. And uh, it's very, very difficult. So, wow. you know, restaurants, I think a lot of people have the false understanding that restaurants pay less for food than households do. And that's just not true. That's I was surprised at yeah. that when I got to the business. Yeah. But, um, yeah, overall, for me, uh, my costs are much, much higher than annual inflation. Yeah. And I just kind of wanted to share that no i'm glad i'm glad you called i mean those numbers are absolutely hair raising and i don't i i I still don't think i quite understand how you are able to manage that kind of uh, uh, cost cost increase and 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 stay in business but or you know alternatively i guess have to 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 pass it along to to customers Uh, charlie i wonder if if that is i mean if that's what people are enduring you know what what's the short-term hope for for small businesses well i think uh and my my heart goes out to robert and to the the other small businesses that are are struggling in this environment and he mentioned a a bunch of things you know less foot traffic because of people working at home i mean let's face it and i wish i could put a happier face on this but um, our economy, due to COVID and other things, has gone through some wrenching changes in the last two years. Sadly, some businesses have failed. Others that are still in business are, are struggling. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, it's going to take uh, – people are going to have to be very, very uh, – work hard, think hard um, to keep going. I'm – Overall, fairly optimistic, but I don't want to minimize the difficulties. There's one thing that I, I he, he mentioned the, the tight labor market. And uh, I think that's a story that has gone underreported. So if I could bring it back to the question um, half an hour ago about um, globalization. Mm-hmm. You know, in the United States, the, baby, the, the, the oldest of the baby boomers started getting Social Security 14 years ago. And what we've seen in those 14 years is a huge drop in what we call the labor force participation rate, which is the percentage of adults who are actually in the labor force. Because, and and I'm I'm close to retirement. Lots of people in my age group have been retiring. Uh, Well, to the tune of uh, the the labor market is 15 million workers short of where it would be if the labor force participation rate had stayed the same. 15 million workers. That's a lot. Now, one way that we might try to address that would be to allow more immigrants. Um, but as, and immigration is a part of globalization. But as you know, in recent years, immigration is an absolutely toxic uh, uh, political um, issue. And so that I, I'm not, uh, I don't think that's going to happen either. And that means that uh, that puts even more pressure on the Federal Reserve because we've put we've taken so many policies that might do something we've taken them off the table. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Charlie Ballard. Uh, it is always great to have you here to talk about uh, economics and uh, people's uh, wallets and, and uh, all of the strains on them. Uh, great to have you here for this conversation in particular. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Stephen. It's always a pleasure to be with you.
That is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk with Detroit City Councilwoman uh, Gabriela Santiago about her plans for her first term in office. Uh, plus, University of Detroit Mercy President Dr. Antoine Garibaldi will join us to talk about his career and his upcoming retirement. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.